the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored with the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Sanctification doesn't come without a fight. To believe in God at times doesn't come easily. What's the good of being good? You'll ask yourself that at some point. What's the good of being good? Careful you don't focus on them. Be careful you don't focus on you. Make sure you focus on Him. The outlook is gloomy, but the uplook is glorious. To grow as a believer requires a proper perspective. We need to fix our eyes not on the world around us, but on Jesus Christ. That's our subject today on Know the Truth with our teacher, Philip DeCourcy. We're in Psalm 73 to hear from Asaph, the psalmist who went on a rant about a world gone wrong. We can all relate because we live in that same world just a few millenniums later. To make sense of it all, Philip presents a message called Keeping the Balance from his Maximum Security series. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 73. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? This is the question that's being answered in the psalm before us. Now I want us to come and look at this psalm because this problem is a present problem as it was a past problem. And I love the fact that this psalm wasn't written in some classroom, in some theological seminary. It was written in the trenches of painful experience. This is the story of a worship leader who stopped singing. Because Asaph was a worship leader in Israel under David. He was a choir director in the temple. But here he's telling us that what he was singing didn't square with what he was seeing. What he was singing didn't square with what he was seeing. The worship service didn't connect with the world from which he had come. Because in that world... God doesn't seem to be sovereign. In that world, the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And this guy has a crisis of faith. If God is good, then why does it seem good to be bad? If God is just, how do you explain all the injustice? So let's come and look at this psalm together in our series, Maximum Security, because it's going to help us keep our balance in a world that's upside down. And this is the third maxim in our Maximum Security series. We need to pray, Philippians 4. We need to expect suffering, 1 Peter 4. And we need to believe in God's goodness and justice in a world gone wrong, Psalm 73. Now, the psalm begins with a reflection. And he wants us to know while he will tell us about his doubts, he has got over his doubts. And he wants us to know, verse 1, truly God is good to Israel and to those who are pure of heart. 
He wants Israel to know that God is dedicated to those who are dedicated to him. God is good in his giving. God is good in his withholding. God is good in his forgiving. God is good all the time and in all things. And he says, get it down. I doubted it, but I want you to know you shouldn't doubt it. And I think he gives us this so that we come to that conclusion in our story a little bit earlier than he did. We can learn from his mistakes. We can follow his recovery. And so that our recovery, when we stumble, can be quicker. So that's the reflection. Number two, I want you to see the rant. This guy goes off on a rant. Having stated what he knows to be true, he's humble and honest enough to say, but hey, that wasn't always the case with me. But as for me, verse 2, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the boastful. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And it created a crisis in my life. The truth that God blesses those that obey him didn't square with reality. What I believed and what I beheld were two different things. I love the humanity and the honesty of this. Look at verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. There's nothing plastic about this, nothing unauthentic about this. Sanctification doesn't come without a fight. To believe in God at times doesn't come easily. Sometime read the story of Adoniram Judson, one of the early Baptist missionaries to Burma. It's harrowing to see what this good brother went through. He lost his beautiful wife and faithful helper. He was just gaining his footing when he lost his daughter on the mission field shortly after that. He fell into despair, fell into depression. He flew out into the jungle and lived there for a while like a hermit, questioning himself and wondering about God and his faith. He demanded his letters to America be destroyed. He renounced his DD degree bestowed on him by Brown University. He gave all his private wealth away, a sizable sum to Baptist missions. He requested a cut in salary. He dug a grave near his home, and he sat by it for days, just staring into it. On October 24, 1829, on the third anniversary of his wife's death, he said this, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I do not find him. Honesty? Humanity? Here's a man who broke the mold, was at the forefront of global missions a couple of centuries ago, took his wife Anne and the little one and went to the mission field and lost both of them. Has he washed his hands in vain? Has he kept his heart clean for nothing? God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I can't find him. Brings us to a third thought here. The reflection, the rant, the restraint. We'll spend a lot of time here, but this man's faith has been wounded, caught in the crossfire of two competing thoughts. God is good to those who are pure of heart, yet good things are happening to bad people, and bad things are happening to good people. Things are getting better for the wicked. Things are getting worse for the righteous. This is crazy. And he expresses it, doesn't he, in verse 13 and 14. Have I cleansed my heart in vain? Have I washed my hands for nothing? I'm plagued every day. The righteous are plagued and the wicked are not plagued. They're driving down easy street. The sun is to their face. The wind is to their back. The people drink it all in, in terms of their lifestyle and their lewdness. Look at verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, I tried to get my head around this, try to make sense of it, try to make sense of the nonsense. 
painful. But I want you to back up into verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. This is what I'm calling the restraint. So you've got the reflection, you've got the rant, now you've got the restraint. What's the good of being good? You'll ask yourself that at some point. What's the good of being good? And the fact is that this man was tempted to leave the reservation. He was tempted to leave the community of faith. That's implied, isn't it, in verse 15? If I had said, I would read into that, hopefully not over-reading into that. You know, I thought about going public with my inner struggle in the middle of it. He goes public at the end of it, which is always a wise thing to do. I'll get back to that in a moment. But he was thinking of going public in the middle of it. And you know what? He was just going to lay it all out there. He's going to spill his guts. And you know, I almost stumbled. I almost fell to my spiritual death. I was seriously tempted to leave the reservation. My faith in God was tenuous. But notice also, I was not only tempted to leave the reservation, I was tempted to encourage others to join me. If I'd said thus, I would thus speak. Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. But thankfully, he steadies himself. Thankfully, he finds his balance. Thankfully, he thinks differently. Thankfully, he restrains himself. And this is a moment in the text where we pivot. It's a tipping point. He'll pivot from pessimism to hope, from doubt to faith, from introspection to worship, and that will bring us to the recovery. But just let me say this before we get there. Isn't there a lesson to be learned here? The psalmist admits that he was glad that he didn't go public with his struggle when he was in the middle of it. He's glad that he resolved it so that he could pass on a reflection. God is good. And it's good to draw near to God. You've got to believe that. Now, I know your belief in that will be challenged. The world will try and put a dent in that belief. That happened to me. Let me tell you my story. Now, that's helpful. That's edifying. That's restrained. That means his emotions are expressed, but they're packaged with theology and eternal perspective. And that's why we need to be cautious about this increasing call for authenticity in the church today, where, you know, we don't want any plastic smiles, and we don't want to be inauthentic, and neither we do. But if we're not careful, this call for authenticity can become dangerous as leaders and people with problems get up, and they spill their guts with no theological formation around it, and it hurts people. It doesn't serve any good. The psalmist serves a public good here. He talks about his fall, but he talks about his recovery. He talks about theology. He talks about eternal perspective. It's just not emotion unleashed. So let's just be cautious with this call to authenticity. Let's remind ourselves that edification rules. If you're going to speak, you do it for edification, for building people up, not tearing them down. It's good to address doubt. It's good to have a certain honesty. But you've got to be very careful with the weak-minded and the struggling saint. Are you helping them get up or are you pressing them down? And it's a lesson for leaders. It's a lesson for leaders. Leaders don't need to get up and make some kind of emotional striptease in front of their congregation and think it serves some public good. I think you can be authentic without spilling your guts, telling everybody about your private life or your struggles. That doesn't help the community of faith. And if that's to be discussed, let it be discussed in private. Let it be discussed in a small group. Let it be discussed in an environment that's controlled and where edification rules. 
and where theology is the jump-off point. There's the story of the blind man who carried a lighted lantern at night, and everybody asked him why in the world would he carry a lighted lantern when he couldn't see, to which he replied, I carry the lighted lantern so that nobody falls over me. And that ought to be the case with you and me, especially leaders, fathers, church leaders, people in places of responsibility. I'm not asking you to be unauthentic. We've got honesty and humility and emotion in this text, but it's restrained. It's packaged theologically. Edification is the goal. And let's be careful that indeed we don't cause people to fall over us. The middle is a muddle. When you're in the middle of something, the middle is a muddle, and it's the time to show restraint not the time to go public. It's the time to give God the benefit of the doubt, and it's time to be careful about what you're going to say to who you're going to say it. We come to the recovery. The recovery. We're somewhere about verse 16 here in the text. This man had a near-death experience, spiritually speaking, lost his footing, almost fell to a spiritual death, but he recovers, regains his footing, keeps his balance, and we read in verse 16 that things turn for the good. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until, it's a tipping point in the text, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you've set them on separate places. He goes on in verse 19 to talk about the fact that they will be brought in a moment to desolation. God's going to awake, despise their image. Wrong is going to be righted. Justice is going to be served. The good guys are going to win. That's the recovery. Pain turns to peace. Vaxation turns to relaxation. What we have in verse 2 is him slipping. But he keeps his balance because God shows him, no, they're going to slip. They're the ones on the slippery slope to destruction. And so we see this. And it's helpful. Warren Wearsby says the turning point comes when he stops being a philosopher and starts being a worshiper. Up to this point, he's philosophizing. He's trying to get his head around this. He's trying to apply reason without revelation to a situation that doesn't compute. And it's not that worship makes him irrational. It's that worship calls his thinking to a higher level. He's not just to think physically and naturally. He's to think spiritually and eternally. And he goes into the sanctuary. He stops being a philosopher, starts being a worshiper. He gets caught up in a vision of the God who is high and lifted up, a sovereign God, a good God, a gracious God, a just God, a merciful God. And now he looks at things differently. He looks at things from the perspective of the throne of heaven, not ground zero. He's not being dominated by his emotions or by sight. This is more than natural rational thinking. This is supernatural and rational thinking that comes from God's perspective. James Montgomery Boyce, in an exposition on this, is helpful in that he says, if you kind of, you know, follow this text, it begins with a focus on them. The psalmist talks about they, the wicked who prosper, the wicked who are arrogant and wear it like a necklace. He's fixated on the wicked, and that's not a good thing. He's absolutely fixated. I mean, there's exaggeration here, okay? I mean, they're not all on easy street. They're not all dying in peace. But this guy is so blinkered by his emotions, so fixated and focused, that's all he sees. So the focus is on they. And that spills over into a focus on I. That leads to self-pity. 
where he starts to go, hey, hey, I've washed my hands in vain. I've cleansed my heart for no good reason. So you go from they to I, but the text here that we're looking at focuses on you, on God. So, and this is the turning point. When we get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes off them and get our eyes onto God who sits in heaven and does whatever pleases him, a God who is good, a God who does good, a God who works all things together for good in the midst of the bad, this is the focus that changes his focus. This is the perspective that puts a new color on everything he looks at. So just think that out. They, I, you. Be careful you don't focus on them. Be careful you don't focus on you. Make sure you focus on him. And as my old pastor, Ivan Thompson, said many times from the pulpit of Rathcoe Baptist Church, the outlook is gloomy, but the uplook is glorious. And the psalmist finds that to be true. He goes into the sanctuary. He sees their latter end. He's taken up by the justice and the holiness of God and his sovereignty and the fact that God will right the wrongs. So two things, his enlightenment and his encouragement. His enlightenment and his encouragement. To this point, he's been walking by sight. Now, Paul tells us, doesn't he? Second Corinthians 5, 7, don't do that. We walk by faith and not by sight. To this point, he's been walking by sight. Now he's worshiping by faith and he's been given a spiritual understanding of the fate of the wicked. Like he changes his tune. He sees things differently. He's enlightened now. The wicked are like passengers on the Titanic's maiden voyage, totally oblivious to the shipwreck that lies ahead. Can you imagine the first-class passengers on the Titanic? I mean, they have shelled out the big money. They're sitting in opulence in that dining room that was as nice as any dining room in any hotel in any city in the world, and they're gliding across the ocean. They may be laughing it up and saying to themselves, man, we're on board a ship that even God can't sink. In the darkness, an iceberg awaits them. It's tragedy, it's death, it's loss of life. These people laughing it up and living it up on board the Titanic have no idea what's coming. They're on a collision course with an iceberg, and so is the wicked, and so is the world. God's final and fearful judgment will visit them. That's why the psalmist says, look, when I see things from God's perspective, when I understand their end, they're the ones who are on slippery places They'll be cast down. Society lifts them up. The society adulates them and celebrates them. But God's going to cast them down. They're going to be brought to desolation in a moment. Utterly consumed with terror. What an interesting contrast. One minute he told us, hey, look at them. Everything about them is life on easy street. They have no pangs in their death. They're not troubled and plagued like other men. God slaps them on the back of the head and says, let me help you understand what really is how you ought to view this. You don't realize someday I'm going to awake and their lives that look so dreamlike are going to be nightmarish. When God awakes in wrath, their lives will pass like a bad dream. And that's the image, you know. When you're in a dream, it seems so real, doesn't it? Until you're waking up and it's gone. Like a good dream, like a bad dream. When you're waking up, it's gone. It's nothing. And the psalmist is being reminded that's what the life of the wicked's going to look like. And your remembrance of it's going to be like a bad dream. 
Eternity is going to sort this thing out and balance this thing out. So we see his enlightenment. I like what one writer says. Asaph had pictured the life of the wicked as a still photograph rather than a motion picture with a tragic ending. So remember, he's fixated. He's emotionally driven. He's forgetting his theology. He's losing sight of an eternal perspective. And he just is fixated on this photograph he's looking at. Look at them. Pompous, prosperous, pagan, popular. Hold on a minute. This is a motion picture. Let's follow their lives to the end. When in a moment, desolation. When in a moment, they'll be visited by the justice of God. And the God that they questioned and laughed at, if there is a God, he's not interested in us or our world. It's all going to change. And I think I would remind us as we kind of apply this, look at the word understanding. Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. This kind of understanding was incomplete. He's thinking rationally. He's thinking from a human perspective. He's lacking in theological understanding and an eternal perspective, but he gains it in worship. I went into the sanctuary of God. John Calvin makes an argument. He went into the temple and he heard the Torah. He heard the law. He heard the word of God preached. That gave him perspective. So you go from reason to revelation. It's not that reason becomes irrational, but reason is lifted to another level of rationality. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And God informs him, and he's brought to think about this differently. It's so important that we think. He's driven by emotion, but now he thinks from a biblical point of view. And that's one of the steps on the road to recovery. You and I have got to think theologically. You and I have got to perceive prophetically. You and I have got to stay focused. It's where peace is found. Isaiah 26 verse 3. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stead on you, who thinks theologically. We're told in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, bring every thought into captivity to Christ. Our thoughts can be like wild horses running off in a moment where we're scared or there's a big event happens and we get spooked, like the psalmist here. He ran off in all kinds of directions, lost his perspective. And God helped him bring those thoughts into captivity to the truth that God is good, God does good, God works at all the good. And it's good to draw near to him and put your trust in him. That's Philip DeCourcy reminding us of the goodness of God. You're listening to Know the Truth, and don't miss a single message in our current series called Maximum Security. Just go to our website at ktt.org. There you can listen online or purchase messages on CD. All of the KTT resources on the radio and the web are made possible through the support of men and women like you, friends who value the ministry of Know the Truth and want to see God's truth proclaimed with clarity and conviction. We'd love to welcome you into our growing family of Truth Ambassadors. Truth Ambassadors support our mission by making a regular monthly donation. When you join the team, you'll be helping us to create, produce, and distribute these Bible teaching programs. Automating your decision is easy when you call 888-644-8811 or sign up to be a Truth Ambassador at ktt.org. And whether you become a Truth Ambassador or give a one-time gift, We'll say thanks by sending you Philip's newest book titled, Take Cover. It presents many of the themes we're studying this month, but it also outlines a biblical plan for surviving and even thriving in dangerous times. 
Ask for your copy of Take Cover when you donate online at ktt.org or call us at 888-644-8811. You can also write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And don't forget to request the free Take Cover bookmark we're offering to everyone who reaches out this month. Call to let us know you're listening, and we'll send you this no-obligation gift that summarizes the key points from Philip's new book. Ask for the Take Cover bookmark when you call 888-644-8811. Or again, reach out to us at ktt.org. That's all our time for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepard, inviting you back tomorrow for another message from the Maximum Security Series. Be sure to listen Tuesday to Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This is Michael Medved. I'm here with Mike Stahl from Health Markets, helping folks find the right Medicare coverage. The news reports say that the rates might be going down. The cost of many Medicare plans are decreasing this year. So you have to ask yourself, are you getting the best rate? Health Markets offers a free service with access to thousands of Medicare plans, plans that can eliminate your out-of-pocket costs, plans with $0 premiums, and even plans that pay you back. What is it people need to keep in mind? With so many new options, it can be confusing. You can get objective help to find a plan that may cost less and cover more. With lower copays, more choices like dental, vision, and prescription drug coverage, and the freedom to see the doctors you choose. Don't miss out on savings you deserve. Our Health Markets Medicare assistance is free. Thanks, Mike. This is Michael Medved for Health Markets. Find out if you can get a Medicare plan that pays you back. Call 800-735-8803. That's 800-735-8803. 800-735-8803. In his play as... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.